Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to start reading where we left off last time, last week. And the topic last week, if you remember, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says that as they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus had just described to them how the temple was going to be destroyed. And they said to him, they asked him three questions. When will these things happen? In other words, the things with the destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? So there were three questions that Jesus was answering. They asked a sentence with three questions in it. And Jesus had described, and we talked about last week, the destruction of the temple. And then at his coming, he's talking about the rapture, how he would come, and how we read, for example, in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 24, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one would be left. And how people would just be taken in this rapture and how it would occur. And now in verse 42, we'll pick it up. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed the house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So Jesus is coming at an hour when we don't think. So remember, if somebody says, I know the date, I know the date that Jesus is coming back, you know for sure it's not going to be that date. All right? Because He's coming on a date when we don't expect. So if somebody says they know the date, you know for sure it's not on that date. It's going to be on another day. Verse 45. Whoever, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave who the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of the house will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour when he does not know, And will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have studied this portion again and again, gone over this portion. This, to me, from what I can see, sounds like what he's speaking to believers. And I'll tell you why. He says in verse 45, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master will put in charge of his household? And then he contrasts him to the, 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 the slave, the evil slave in verse 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time. In other words, these slaves are looking to one who is a master. It is not somebody who is oblivious to God or somebody who has totally rejected the master. They recognize that there is a master here. Not only that, if you look at the penalty for disobedience, the penalty for disobedience never lists that it is eternal. It is in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, it may be implied that it is eternal, 
But what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to talk about different scenarios. And, and then when we get into, into chapter 25, we're going to see the penalty that's going to come upon unbelievers, that it's going to be eternal. There's going to be an eternal penalty, and it speaks specifically of that. So he says, who then, in, in verse 45, is the faithful and sensible slave who his master put in charge of his household to give them their food to eat at the proper time. Blessed is that slave who his master finds so doing when he comes. Blessed is the one who serves the Lord and is about the Lord's work. This, to me, and I have studied this, and we'll look at this again, as I said, and we'll contrast this to total unbelievers. This looks to me like he's dealing with believers in both cases. The one who believes the master is coming and so works in that light, and the one who believes the Master is coming, but it's going to be a long time, it doesn't matter much what I do now, and then the effects of that. He says, there is a sensible slave who serves me, who gives to others, who feeds the household, gives them their food at the proper time. Now, is that just physical food? And at times it might be. It is whatever our gift is to be able to minister that to the body of Christ. I will continue to push this in your lives. That you must be busy serving the Lord. And what happens often is when people come from Christian homes, they kind of grew up in a Christian home and they felt like they didn't really have to do much because, you know, the family did stuff. Each individual must pick up a role of service in the body of Christ. Each individual must pick that up. And it says, you will be blessed. And when the master comes and finds you so doing this, it says he will put him in charge of all his possessions. In other words, by service to Christ, we prepare the way for future blessings. Future blessings in this life and in the life to come. Good works are something that we are supposed to be about. Not that it gains us our salvation, but it's something that we're supposed to be doing. And then he contrasts that. He says, but if that evil slave says in his heart. So in other words, he talks about that evil slave. So in other words, there's a master with slaves. Some slaves may obey by feeding the household. Other slaves may disobey. My master is not coming for a long time. So the slave believes the master is coming. The master isn't going to come for a long time. But the slave believes the master is coming. But the outcome of this is a long way off. So this is very much a believer. I mean, the total unbeliever, you say, you, well, go, go down the street, is Jesus coming again? No. I mean, Jesus died. That's it. He's not coming again. This is one who believes the Master is coming, but puts it off. And begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards. Now, this is pretty bad stuff. Actually beating his fellow slaves. This is not just not serving the fellow slaves. This is actually coming against them. And then leading a lifestyle of dissipation. To eat and drink with drunkards. It says, when the Master comes... On a day that he, master, when the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, 
and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is pretty, pretty stiff. The master is going to cut the slave in pieces. This is the words of Jesus. You know, loving Jesus. Jesus who loves the little children. Jesus who seeks out the lamb that strayed. It says when he comes, he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Remember, Jesus spoke a lot about hypocrites and we studied those portions before. And he says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping means crying and gnashing of teeth is like, oh, lots of pain. Not a pleasant place. Now, it doesn't say that this is for eternity. Maybe it, maybe it is for eternity. I know this really bothers people's theology. I'm just saying I'm looking at the text. It doesn't say how long they're going to be in that place. It doesn't say how long they're going to be dealt with there. It says, though, that there is going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So... One of the things that, that we have to realize is, what does this mean? What could it be that's coming? There's going to be this weeping and gnashing of teeth that occurs in that place. And Jesus said, it is coming. Do you see why it's important to be about the service of the body of Christ? He contrasts this to a slave who's serving, a slave who's not serving. And a slave who's moving into dissipation. And you know, from what I've seen in my own life, you take a person who says, I believe all that, I'm a Christian, and doesn't walk with God, and ends up doing the very things of the world, and in fact, in many ways, coming against the body of Christ. They don't have to wait for a long, far-off time in the future. Their life begins to be a real mess when they're in their 30s it really catches up with them a lot closer than when they think. Jesus said, I'm going to cut you up. You know, it's as if, it's as if you, you, you take these young people, and I meet them all the time, and they act as if they have the world by the tail, and, you know, they're cocky, and, they got, and you give them ten years, just ten years. They will be, have been married and divorced, had affairs, and had tragedy going on in their lives just because of the decisions that they've made. The weeping and the gnashing of teeth actually starts here on earth. There's a lot of pain that occurs in the lives of believers who aren't about doing the work of the Lord and walking with Him. There's a lot of misery. You can contrast that to the life of the believer who's walking with the Lord. Things come, but it's not destructive to their lives. It actually, in fact, makes them all the stronger. There is a destruction that comes from a lack of service to God. And that's what he says. This is to the believer. He's not speaking to the unbeliever. He's speaking to the believers here. We're going to later on, in chapter 25, read what he says when he comes at the end of the age. When he comes at the end of the age and he's separating those who believe from those who don't believe, and he separates them, then the punishment is eternal, he says. But there's a punishment here. You know, in, in, in the church service, they were t just talking about this. I would like to volunteer for whatever. The welcome desk, the AV team, the library team. You don't have to do this. 
But as long as you're serving in some other capacity in the body of Christ, maybe it's some Christian group on campus, but some role of service. This is for married couples. This is for the unmarried. This is for everybody has to have a role of service. You say, well, I don't really know where my giftings are. Well, you will never know until you try something. You know, maybe you think your gift is singing. And if you end up singing and nobody else agrees with you that your gift is singing, guess what? Right? And you try these different things. And then you see, and usually where your gifting is, number one, it doesn't totally drain you to do it. You kind of like it. It's not that it's, it, it, it's just you know, a delight every day and that there's never any problems. It just You kind of flow with this thing and others appreciate it. Some people are really good at working with kids. Serve in the youth ministry. Serve in that capacity. Work with the ki- children. Work with the middle schoolers. Work with the high school kids. Maybe it's serving in, in Campus Crusade. And service means differently than going and attending the meetings. It is easy to think, I serve God by attending the meetings. You don't. You eat. You don't feed. All right? And it's important to eat. But it's also important to feed. To feed others. And this is what he's saying. He's saying you've got to be about this sort of work. This is important in the Christian life. If it doesn't take place, our lives begin to get stripped away. And lives become painful because you end up marrying a spouse who's equally selfish. And then you have two people who are selfish married together. And the home is not fun at all. It is really much better being married to somebody who's selfless, who gives of themselves. People will see you serving in the body of Christ. Young man, you're serving in the body of Christ. Some young woman is going to see you and enjoy that. And see you serving and say, hey... That guy's quite a guy and wants to be around you. And women who serve in the body of Christ, guys notice it. And they're like, that girl is always serving. And there's a blessing there that comes. There's a blessing that comes. And so you see, in the body of Christ, there is the need for service. Let's move on into chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went to the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in the flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight... There was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out and see him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
Be on alert, then, for you do not know the day or the hour. So you see, the penalty here was not that he was going to cut them in pieces and throw them in a place weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was just that they didn't get into the wedding feast. It's a different sort of penalty. What does he describe them all as? Five, five virgins that are prudent, five virgins that are not, that are foolish. But they're all virgins. And God actually speaks very highly of virginity. It is a good thing. No, the world doesn't speak very highly of it. Guess what? The world is wrong. God is right. God speaks highly of it for men and for women. And so there are ten virgins here. Five of them foolish, five of them prudent. So they're not all bad. You know, these are not, these are not ten murderers or ten school teachers or five school teachers and five murderers. I mean, they're all virgins. But some of them are foolish virgins. Some of them are foolish. And so, he says that, that there are prudent ones and there are foolish ones. And then he says that some took oil for their lamps in a flask. They took an extra flask of oil. They all had oil. Because it says that they trimmed their lamps. So it says in, in, in verse 7, Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. So in other words, everybody had oil in their lamp. Others had a whole flask full of oil to last them as well. Something to last them for the coming of the bridegroom. The oil always in the scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit. So if this is really indeed the Holy Spirit, some only have a little measure of the Holy Spirit, others have a lot. Now not that, you know, I'm just going to upset somebody's theology, the Holy Spirit is not divisible. The Holy Spirit is a person. You're not divisible. You don't, you, you, you don't divide up the Spirit. My experience is, there are people who believe Jesus has risen from the dead, and they'll say that. And there are other people who believe Jesus has risen from the dead that will say that. And you compare the two. One is overflowing with the life of the Spirit, and the other is like you look at them and you wonder, is there any life in them? Because they're like black holes. All they do is suck things. And they want more and more and more. And there's nothing of a giving out of the Holy Spirit. It is a relationship with God that gives us something to give out. Remember, it says when the five... Foolish ones who had to run off and get something and come back. Jesus said, I never knew you. There was no relationship there. Yes, you were a virgin. Yes, you had oil in the lamp. But there wasn't much substance there. Remember, they said, what is the sign of your coming? Jesus is speaking of the rapture. He is going to come. Does that mean everybody who has said, I believe Jesus is Lord, is going to be raptured? Maybe not by this portion. If you believe that if, if everybody who says, I believe Jesus is Lord, is going to be taken in that rapture and not have to go through the tribulation, if you believe that, what do you do with this portion? Then you have to explain it away in another way. And maybe there is another way of explaining it away. But there are some virgins, good folks, that are prudent and some that are foolish. Some that fill themselves with the Holy Spirit and some that do not. It is important to move on with our walks in the Lord. Growing up in a Christian family doesn't make us good Christians. Being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. 
Being born in a Christian home doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Being born to parents that serve the Lord doesn't make you necessarily one who serves the Lord. It is the decision that all of us have to make. There are sacrifices in our lives. And hey man, you know I'm busy, alright? Well, guess what? It's never going to go away. Busyness will never go away. And students have this view that, well, you know, once I get done with school, then I'll serve. Baloney. That won't happen. The same way you are now, you will be. You know, they say when people grow old, they don't change. They just become more of what they already are. If they're grumpy, they become more grumpy. If they're loving, they become more loving. What you are is what you will become. It doesn't, all of a sudden, you, you go through graduation, you know, you, you go through the sally port and, huh, I'm going to find a church and I'm really going to serve today. No, you're really busy with your new job. And they're shifting you back and forth all over the country and you've got all these things and then you've got this car payment and this house payment and, 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 and all these other payments for furniture and things you never had before and you've got a kid in one arm and another kid in the other arm and you've got a spouse that doesn't help you enough, you think, and all these other things pulling on you that you never had when you were a student. You serve God today. Whatever you are now is what you will be. Learn to walk in service. Learn to walk in a depth of relationship with God so that Jesus says, oh, I know you. I have a relationship with you. I know this guy. Because every day he gets on his knees and he tries to talk with me. And he can't hear any audible voice, but he strains his ear to hear me. And he looks into the scriptures. I know him. I know this young lady. To the other, he says, I didn't know you. Yeah, you had your lamp, but there wasn't much there. And that's why you meet people all the time that will say, I believe Jesus is Lord, and you, you begin to talk with them, and there's nothing in there. The light is on, but nobody's home. Is there anything in there? Why don't you comprehend? And they may well have to go through the tribulation to start crying out to God, because he says the door's going to be shut. He's taken some. And now the door is shut. He says these others aren't coming in. Remember what I told you, most theologians believe that believers will not go through the tribulation, they'll be taken before the tribulation starts. Some believe that the believers will be taken after the sixth seal, and some believe that all believers will go through the tribulation. And I told you, I don't know what the right interpretation is. But I do know those who are ready will go. At the first opportunity. And there are some that have a little oil in their lamp and not a lot that aren't going to get in. That's what it says. And you think that that's kind of hard. You take it up with Jesus. All I'm doing is reading what he, what he said. This is what Jesus said. Alright, look, look in verse 14. But it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid, it, hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the, ma the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. 
The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. To the one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you gathered no seed, where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given. Everyone who has more shall be given, and the one who has abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, look at the penalty. These all look to me like believers. Jesus, in fact, describes believers as slaves, meaning those who serve the Master. And the punishment, again, was never implied to be eternal. Maybe there's an implication there, but was never said to be eternal. It's just a place of misery. You're going to be in misery. He gives to one servant five talents, another two, another one. Now, a talent was 15 years Wages for a laborer, one talent. So if you got one talent, 15 years wages, say to a laborer, you know, a common laborer, maybe $30,000 a year, to put it in our terms. So he gave him, he gave him, uh, 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 so one talent is worth $450,000, right? Because you got 15 years times, say, $30,000. So you got $450,000. So if you're given five talents, that's like being given $2.25 million to a common laborer. Common laborer would say, that's pretty good. You know, common laborer's retirement is not $2.25 million. This is a good chunk of money he's talking about. Jesus doesn't give us trinkets. Jesus gives us a lot of ability. He's not saying he gave one guy five cents. He gave him $2.25 million. Gave it to him. And he said, here... You invest this, and so that when I come, I can have something back. And he invested it, he came, and he said, look what he said to him. He's, he, he's, he said when he came back, um, in verse 20, The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you have entrusted five talents to me, see, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, he says give, uh, Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. I have gotten money from investors. Investors never give you $2.25 million and say, whatever you make from this, you keep, in addition to the $2.25 million that I gave you. They never do that. 
Jesus does that. Jesus gives 2.25 million, says go and see what you can get out of it. And you come back, you come back with, with $5.5 million and he says keep it all. If an investor gives you $2 million and says go ahead and invest it. And you come back with $5 million. You might get $500,000 and the investor gets 450000 That's the way things work. You might get $300,000. You get a little bit and the investor, the one who put his money up, gets most of it. Jesus is very different. He showers us with gifts and we think, hey, I'm pretty good at this. Well, wake up. That's not you. That's Jesus. If you're bad at something, that's you. If you're good at something, that's Jesus. Jesus gives us these abilities, these talents. And He says, do something with it. And He says, I don't expect five talents out of the person that I gave two to. He says that according to what I've given you, you do. According to what I've given you. And He gives different amounts to different ones. And then he says he gave a certain amount to one of them and he just buried it and he did nothing with it and he comes up to the master and says, here, you have what's yours. Well, that's not good enough to just give it back. Jesus said you've got to invest it and do more with it. That's not good enough. You know, if you have a stockbroker and you give him $100,000 and you say, you know, make more money for me, and you come back a year later and you, you find out all he did was stick your check in, his, in, in, in the drawer in his desk. Didn't even put it in the bank to get 2% interest, but just stuck it in the drawer in his desk and said, oh, here's your check back. I don't know why you're upset. You got your check back. Well, I thought you were doing something with it for this past year. Well, I knew you were a hard guy. So I was afraid. Look at the, the slave says, I knew that you gather where you scatter no seed. I knew, he says, I knew you had this amazing ability. He said, I was afraid and I went away and hid your talent. To, and hid your talent. He says, because, because uh, uh, you're able to reap where you do not sow and gather where you scattered no seed. God is able to do that. So, in other words, he never said to the slave, you're right. But we work for a God that can multiply much more than we would ever expect. God is able to gather where no seed was scattered. God is able to do that. And look at the penalty on this guy. It's not just, oh well, you know, I'll never invest with you again. He says, take away the talent that I've given and, and uh, uh, throw out this worthless slave into the outer darkness into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Service to the Lord is really, really important in our lives. If we don't take the gift that we have, we will begin to dry up. This starts, it really starts throughout your life. Wherever you are, you've got to start to serve. And you don't magically start serving when you graduate from college. And then people think, well, when I get a job, then I'll start serving. Uh, well, you know... Being an assistant professor is really a tenuous life. When I get tenure, then I'll start to serve. All right. Well, when I'm promoted to a full professor, then I'll start to serve. And lo and behold, you're a full professor and you're too old to serve. I mean, your back's gone. Your, everything's gone on you. 
You start wherever you are. It is really important or you end up in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You end up in a very painful life. And you look and you say, what good has Christianity been? My life is no different than the lives of the people in the world. And that's exactly what you see in the church. You look around and you see Christians all the time. You say they're Christians and their lives, there's no substantive difference. And then you look at other believers and you say, here's a believer, here's a believer. This one's got so much life, so much service coming out of them. This person's got nothing. There's just this black hole, this sink that you pour stuff into and nothing ever comes out that's any good. Except complaining and misery. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, there, there, there's some people that I know that I just avoid them. I see them from far away and I'll turn the corner and go the other way because all they ever do is spout misery. You know, if, if there's somebody I know and you're going through something, I'm delighted to pray for them. But some people, all life is, is miserable. Whenever you see them, oh, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. And I look at their lives and I know why it's going wrong like that. Because they're in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's invested in them and they've never done anything with it and their lives are miserable. And I hate to be around them. I hate when they join my research group. I hate it. I hope they would quit. I hope they just go away. I wish I'd known that the day they joined. Because they're just miserable all the time. They come into work just dragging their lunchbox behind them and you know, you know there's this black cloud that just goes over them. And that's that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then you have these other people that are just flourishing. And, you, you know, something bad happens and they're like, well, you know, yeah. stuff happens in life. And they, they move on. And, and it's just a different sort of person. You can have this in your life. And Jesus is saying it's all here. It's for the believer. You take what God has given you and you do something with it. You feed the body of Christ. He is coming again. You don't want to be left in that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why does He want you without going through the tribulation? Let Him go through the tribulation. It might be good for Him. He might learn to cry out to God then. We don't want Him in heaven now. He's going to mess it up. You know, Jesus is probably like me. I mean, He turns the corner. He doesn't want to have anything to do with Him. That's what He says here. This is real stuff. They asked him, what is the sign of your coming? He's not just telling bedtime stories. He said, this is the sign of my coming. This is what it's going to be like. You want to know what it's going to be like for the believers? Some are getting in and some aren't. Some are going to go through this tribulation and it's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I'm telling you, you don't have to wait till the time of tribulation to get this. It comes upon lives. It comes upon... You speak to any older person. Miss Harrison, do you know what I'm talking about? You've seen this sort of thing in people's lives, haven't you? Okay, as they've gotten older. And you can see it. And I, can, and I know this. It's, it's just, I'm not a prophet. It's just, just experience for me. And I can see it. And I know this person's going to have a miserable life. God, I pray that they'll turn. Because they're, they're precious. They're precious. I pray that they'll turn. Because they're just gearing up to have a miserable life. And then there's other people I just look at them and I think, you know, this person's going to have a good life. And I want, you know, I want them to send me emails, occasionally, short ones, to just tell me how wonderful their lives are and send me a Christmas picture of them with their, their spouse and their kid and their dog and, and see, you know, hear something about what they're doing. 
And you see this. You see this in the lives of people. And I've seen it from people in this class. I've been teaching this class now for over seven years. There are ones that started out that are now graduated from medical school and serving the Lord. And you see this. And it's exciting to get their Christmas cards. And you said, I knew this would happen in their lives. I knew they'd have this good life. Because they were working in upward basketball with the kids and serving and all. And they were in med school and still doing all of this stuff. And, and I knew that this person was going to have a good life. And it's just, boom, it's right there. How did I know? Because the Bible said so. And then the other ones that would come and go and not really interested and go here and there and never really get plugged in and all they did was go from one church to another and complain why they couldn't join. They can't join this church because of this. And so they go to the, they can't join that church because of this. Can't, well, why do they want to join anyway? I don't understand. I don't see that in the New Testament. You don't? I mean, in the New Testament, they were giving everything. And you do what the leadership wants, and they've got a million excuses for a million different things, and then their lives are miserable. And you see them in their 30s, their mid-30s, and it's a mess. And it was like, it was just, you know, the pattern was there. This is a warning Jesus is giving. And that's why he says, be ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your warning for the truth of the need to serve You. Father, I thank You. Father, I pray for these young people that You give them a ministry of service that wherever they are, that they spend time each week serving the body of Christ, serving in some capacity. I pray, Lord, for Your outpouring and Your grace to be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.